Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Life Together Unscripted. Today I sit down with Alex Lau and um, we don't really know each other all too well, so it's really cool to have an opportunity to sit and chat and get to know each other. Um, he schooled me on the uh, principle call of kingdom business and um, we talked a lot about that today, what it means to uh, have a ministry that's alongside of the church, so to speak, and to seed and fund and help people in ministry um, to thrive and flourish and do their work as well for the kingdom. Uh, it was great chatting with him, and if you're anything like me, you, you kind of know when you're out of your depths. Um, this is a man that's very regimented, um, very disciplined in all that he does, very uh, learned, very educated, and um, you just want something of what he has, uh, at least I do. And uh, so today it was a great opportunity. He's inspired me uh, to think more deeply about this process, and I hope it inspires you as well. Uh, be good, guys. Bless you. Peace. Hey, fella, how are you? Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey, hi. Yeah, how you going, man? Good, man. Good to see you. Hey, as a heads up, I'm just recording already, so giddy up. Get your saddle on. Oh, you are? Okay, cool. Give me one moment. I'm just... No stress, buddy. Can you hear me okay? I can. You sound and look excellent. Good on you. Awesome, mate. Yeah. All uh, right. Yeah, we'll say... Part of the um, the format of the show, bud, is unscripted. So uh, we, you know, there's, we're, we're going to go where the story takes us, um, yeah. as well as just the rawness and the authenticity, the, you know, the organic moments that come up as we speak together today. Um, and in light of that, uh, at any point in time, bud, if I ask you a question that's either too personal or you don't want to go there, like kindly pass, no big deal at all, um, yeah. as well as uh, it is a dialogue. So if you just want to chat, if you want to ask my opinion or yeah. a conversation on me at any point in time, be good. Uh, I'm happy to do that. I'm excited. Um, nice one, man. Hey, I reckon we've had less than uh, the amount of conversations we've had in person is probably you could count on one hand, huh? I know, man. I know. So I don't really know you, Dom. <laughs> I know. And, and we've kind of done circles around each other because, you know, you work at, uh, you've done some marketing things for yeah. uh, the church that we go to and attend. And yeah. um, that's been excellent. And we've really appreciated your help. But um, maybe start me off with, um, start me off with your day job. What do you do for work? Um, I, I see a lot of videos that come out, but what yeah. is your area of expertise and, and give yeah. me a title, maybe? Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, I've never had a day job in my life. <laughs> uh, I come from a five-generation entrepreneurial family. Uh, so we um, business has been in my blood since day one. So I run a business, a marketing business uh, called C-Shop Group. We started in 2008 when I was uh, 19. Uh, and, uh, yeah, 12 years later, we're still going strong. Wow. A career at 19. That's incredible, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was backstory. It was, um, before I was 19, I was doing a whole bunch of other stuff as well, but, um, yeah, let's go there. No, uh, let's yeah. go there. I mean, yeah, because right off the bat that, um, mm. surprises me. And, um, is your background Chinese? Is that your heritage? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, incredibly hardworking, incredibly driven, incredibly you know, motivated in, in the business world and all of that. And mm. so a career at 19 already, I'm like, tell me more. Like, I want to yeah. know, um, yeah, your, your, just tell me about that. And yeah, maybe sure. we can go then backtrack in terms of family yeah. and some of that. Sure. Well, I'll just go all in, I guess. Uh, I was born in Hong Kong. Uh, I came to Australia in 2002 at the age of 14. Uh, as I said before, my family has been a family of entrepreneurs and business and all that. So when you grow up watching deals and, you know, being in mom and dad's shop, so they, they were in real estate and various businesses. So, you know, mm -hmm. in a very young age, uh, I started helping out just, you know, various things, right? You know, uh, showing people properties, and you know, getting keys and fetching bank checks and stuff like that, right? It's just hold on. What age is this? What? How old are you? Uh, probably eight or nine or ten or whatever. <laughs> <That's> incredible. <laughs> yeah, you're all getting, yeah, giving you keys. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I still remember. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was probably about twelve or eleven, um, you know, one of my main jobs were were to go to um, a really high end bank in Hong Kong, like one, you know, to basically equivalent to CBD, you know, um, <laughs> the center of it all. Um, yes. Go to a corporate building, you know, with my little shots on, go and find a manager, get the, you know, bags of keys and handing him checks of, I don't know, millions of dollars or whatever. Hilarious. Um, so, yeah. 
That's amazing. So that was okay, my so, back story, man. Yeah. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit more. So you're eight, nine, and, and family is very, you know, engaged in business and mm. uh, real estate and things like that. Yeah. Um, what, let's see, what motivated marketing, I suppose? Because I'm sure you would have had different avenues, different yeah. um, prospects, different things to go down. Yeah. Um, what was high school like and, and what kind of yeah. led you down that pathway? So I, I really stumbled into marketing. Um, so I never studied marketing or anything like that, you know, as, as you would know, like, you know, if, if you, when you grow up already sort of in the marketplace or sold in business, you know, I, I didn't do particularly well at school, didn't really find any relevance to what, like kudos to people who are academically great. Right. Um, mm -hmm. but it's just not how I'm wired. So, um, so, uh, back in high school, uh, when I first came to Australia, I started year nine, um, and I had very little English. Um, but uh, a little episode when I was in Hong Kong, I was also a stage actor. <laughs> um, so, um, and, um, you know, I was actually like a semi-professional stage actor. So I actually wanted to pursue a career or a path mm. in um, drama and performing arts and all that when I first came to Australia. But because of my English wasn't, wasn't that great. And one of the first plays that, that, you know, when I went to school and went to the drama class, I would talk about Romeo and Juliet and Shakespeare. Oh, right? man. Deep end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't keep up and um, I sort of had to give up that sort of dream. Mm -hmm. um, I pivoted, I pivoted to music. Um, so I, um, so I think performing arts was sort of in me as well. So, um, you know, started picking up the guitar and piano and bass and stuff like that. So I did audio engineering after, after mm. school. Mm. Um, uh, and um, uh, did that for a, a year went back to Hong Kong and I was so fortunate to uh, work uh, with work in the studio uh, with uh, one of the biggest producers in in Asia actually mm -hmm. not, not just in Hong Kong and wow. by, by that time he was actually working for uh, working for the Beijing Olympics project so the torch song, the opening song, the opening wow. sequence and everything. So he was the music director for that. And I was his personal assistant in the studio. Yeah, wow. so, so that was dream come true. Like any, you know, any 19 year old kid graduated from, you know, audio engineering school. Yeah. Now you're playing with all the cool toys and working with big, big time artists and all that. So, but um, yeah, that so was that. So was that a live project or was that a studio project? No, um, so I actually, I, well, so I would probably make uh, that was my day job, I guess. You know, so I signed mm -hmm. up for that. Uh, I worked as his, uh, his assistant for about nine months. Mm -hmm. uh, he wanted to keep me, but I, it's just this whole like going to work thing, working for someone thing, just didn't mm -hmm. resonate with me. Even mm -hmm. though the job was basically a dream come true. <laughs> mm. Um, so I sort of just said, Hey, it was a great season. Thank you for everything that you have taught me and everything. Nine months later, I came back to Australia. Yeah. Um, so started, the um, started my business or, uh, well, I was freelancing doing a lot of production stuff because of my training. So live gigs, you know, audio engineering, and then slowly people started. So I started a business at C Sharp Productions, uh, 12 years ago. So doing production work. Um, so as you would know, like, you know, when you're in that scene, people are started asking you, do you do visions? Do you do videos? Do you do websites? Mm -hmm. You know, you, and, and a 20 year old would just say yes to everything, right? You, you sort of, <laughs> <laughs> of course I do that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then figuring it out afterwards <laughs> on Google. And <laughs> exactly right. You fake yeah. it until you make it. Yeah. Um, until a point that I was sort of doing that for about four or five years, starting to build a small team. Um, and at one point we realized we were actually pretty good at not only producing content, but um, repurposing those content into a commercial um, purpose, mm -hmm. right? So we don't do content just for content sake or for creativity sake. Um, we, were, we, 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 we slowly realized that everything that we produce were actually contributing to a commercial result. So, you know, we, we had that realization and then um, about six years ago, we decided that we, we were going to become a marketing company and here we go, C-Shop Group. Six weeks, I mean, you know, six years later, we're still going strong. Awesome. Well, hey, um, bring me back for one second. Just pretend I'm wet behind the ears and I have no idea what marketing means or, you know, just that you have to describe this from the ground up. What is yeah. it uh, in, in essence that you do? Yeah. What is it that I do? Okay, well... So I basically create, create things and create things uh, online to sell products for people to exchange money for whatever products and services um, uh, that our clients offer, right? So mm -hmm. running a marketing agency, um, we have a bunch of clients who sell 
different products, you know, all the way from e-commerce coffee business to wholesale investing products uh, to, you know, info products online to, you know, you know, so these, these um, companies would come to us uh, and say, Hey, we want to build a website. Hey, we want to launch a sales funnel. Hey, we want to refocus our marketing, uh, come up with a marketing strategy, come up with a marketing plan, refocus how we communicate as a brand. So that's mm. uh, what we provide as a service. Yeah, great. And so what is then your integration with advertising and or designers or other um, aspects of uh, you know, marketing? How, do you guys handle everything in-house? Uh, relationally, how does that dynamic play out across getting a, a project done? Yes. Okay. So um, in order to have that conversation, really, you um, sort of, you've you got to understand there's a fine line between branding, marketing, and, and advertising, right? Um, so branding talks a lot about colors and look and feel and logos and fonts and stuff like that. And obviously we tap into the messaging and how you communicate and whatnot. Um, marketing always drives a monetary result. Okay. So you have a brand, you have a solid, uh, a solid messaging. You're ready to take on the world, right? Marketing is to, is to channel, uh, all these things to the marketplace and tell people that, this is the product, this is how much is it, uh, and this is how you buy, right? So in, when you execute marketing, you always would have what we call an ROI, return on investment um, in mind, right? So if I launch this sales funnel campaign, I put, you know, $5,000 uh, onto advertising, you know, how much am I getting? Um, how much am I paying per click? How much am I paying per lead? How much am I paying per sale? Am I converting leads to sell? What's that conversion rate look like, right? Mm-hmm. And then the advertising aspect is, is just a vehicle uh, for eyeballs, really, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I sort of, how, how I sort of see it. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of what we do, we may, mostly would focus in the marketing aspect, right? So our clients would come to us and say, here's our product, go put it to the world and give us a result in short. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So you always have some sort of metric to, to measure your success, whereas sometimes advertising or sometimes um, the creative field can be a bit ambiguous. Yes. You're primarily monetarily looking at your results. Yeah, but obviously all, all the creativity would come in, um, all the technicality would come in, and, and you know, data science will come in. But mm-hmm. as I said before, you know, we don't create a logo or we don't create an artwork for creativity's sake as an outlet for our creativity. No, we don't. But everything that we do is purposely designed to sell products or to sell something. Yeah. yeah. So for you as an individual, um, what, what's a win? Like, what does a win look like? Is it, is it monetary? Is it monetarily based? Is it, you know, I've landed this um, huge client and we, you know, we're contracted for the next two years with them. Is it, you know, what for you at this stage of now 12 years later in your career, yeah. how, do, how do you evaluate wins? Um, okay. So on a personal, are you talking about on a business level or on a personal level? I, personal level. Yeah. Because okay. I, yeah. Cause I, I'd love to know Alex Lau, how you look at yeah. yourself and look at yeah. the business and. Okay. So obviously being a Christian and I presume this is a Christian show or, you know, mm-hmm. majority of the people who are watching are Christian. Um, I, um, I'm heavily involved in a concept called kingdom business, right? Um, I believe and I, I have a clear, I will probably say this. I have a clear calling in my life that the purpose of my life is to be highly profitable and influential in the marketplace so that I can use the finances and resources to fund the kingdom or to advance the gospel in, um, as an entrepreneur, right? So I have no ambition to go into ministry to become a pastor or to lead a cell group or to do whatever, right? My, my purpose in life is to operate in the marketplace is to earn money and make a killing so that I can fund my local church. I can fund strategic projects, uh, gospel projects and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's my place. Um, and I'm, I've got a really clear understanding and discernment upon that. Mm-hmm. And that's after a decade of well, praying. Well, tell me about that. Yeah. Where does that come from? Where does that praying? Where does that discernment? Did you mm-hmm. serve in the local church? You know, what, what is the tension in that? Yeah. Just tell me about that process a little bit. 
Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you're, you're taking up all my memory lanes. <laughs> well, it's great. I mean, because here, look, at the end of the day, like yeah. someone listening might be totally unfamiliar with this. For me, someone yeah. that works at a church, I yeah. get it. I understand yeah. that ministry takes several different forms. Yeah. Brother, that, um, that contribution aspect is invaluable yeah. to so many yeah. different people in ministry. But yeah. you on that end of it, I'd love mm-hmm. to know. Mm. you know what was that like did it did you did mm. you labor over that did you have any um am i doing the right thing yeah when you say clear calling and discernment process yeah. i'd just love to know what that looked like yeah so i was exposed to the concept of kingdom business probably about eight nine years ago now um by a gentleman who who's now passed away his name is Derek brown uh in queensland uh, and since then i've met so many mentors and part of coaching groups and stuff like that which you know is a long story but um <clears throat> i i i i I guess I in the I, I became a Christian uh, when I was in high school, uh, year eleven, um, and then I uh, quickly became a part of uh, a, lo- a Chinese local church, right? A uniting church, uh, which is you know quite traditional and all that stuff, you know, on top of the the Chinese bubble, right? So it, it was quite a religious um, type kind of situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was mm-hmm. serving. Um, and I was growing and, and, and whatnot, um, but just just never found that contentment and purpose, uh, really. Um, I, 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 I was pretty um, clear that I don't envy the life of a pastor, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I don't, have, I don't have an ambition to go into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously coming from you know my childhood and you know witnessing business and being being in the creative space and performing arts and all that um, I was always tr- asking God and trying to search what does that really mean what is that what is what is my outlet to to um, to be a witness or be mm-hmm. be a follower of Jesus right so back in my pre- performing arts days um, uh, I thought my purpose was to to be a really successful sound engineer or a production manager, right? Um, my dream was to become a production manager for huge, I don't know, huge on gigs or whatever. And 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 to be honest, by 2013, I actually did that, right? I became a production manager for you know huge Christian productions and stuff like that. But after after that, I was like, is that it? And I was like 22, 23 at the time, and I was like. Okay, well, so I've achieved what I've wanted, but it's not, I, I didn't have that fulfillment, didn't have that contentment, didn't feel like I was, you know, like this is, this is my destiny, right? So I kept on like, you know, searching sort of like stumbling and things like that. And then obviously, you know, God had his perfect plan. He introduced me to the kingdom business concept. Um, uh, and then slow, you know, uh, and through all the mentorship and all the coaching that I went through with, with you know, Christian uh, business uh, academies and stuff like that, um, it just became really, really clear to me and also prophetically really, really clear to me that my calling in life until God calls me elsewhere is to be in the marketplace and it is to make money, right? Um, and And... And, and to obviously, you know, make money to, you know, pay for things for ourselves and kids and stuff like that. But a lot of uh, the, 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 the big idea out of that is um, we want to be able to see well-funded churches. We want to see, um, you know, like for me, what, what really um, saddens me uh, is whenever I hear about a church has to close up because of financial reasons or a, ch- a, a pastor is not able to, uh, live a normal life and 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 because of financial reasons or their kids are they're compromising some of the lifestyle choices they have to you know like this stuff really saddens me yeah. and i think um and i think it is the entrepreneur like when you really think about it um ministry as, as you know you're in ministry right ministry takes a lot of money to run right it takes money to run ministry right and the business, the business owners are the only people, or the entrepreneurs are the only people that would produce that income, and and be able to distribute it for for the ministry people to do to do what they're good at without having that financial burden or having to ha- without having to think about finances at all. So that would be you know some of the things that I, I'm sort of pondering about. And I'm not yeah. sure if um, it's wonderful. No, that was perfect. Yeah. That was a perfect answer to what I was. Um, going on and and you know there is um 
money is a resource. It's simply that, right? You, you don't say it's good or bad. It just yeah. simply is. And so yeah, in light of that, but yeah. at, at the same token, um, in, in ministry settings and churches, um, amongst Christian brothers, it's, it's like, a Louie, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, and it no, gets really odd. And yeah. so would love to know how you've, um, and maybe through your mentors or maybe through yeah. um, just a journey, how have you become yeah. comfortable speaking about this in terms of seeding ministry? And, yeah. um, you know, has there been discomfort in that or any times where it's, you know, money is the root of all evil or, or yeah. you found, you know, yeah. like talk to me a little bit about just that. Yeah. So obviously, as you would know, biblically speaking, you know, money itself is not evil. The love of money is evil. Mm-hmm. And, and when Paul talks about that, that love is really the agape love mm-hmm. as in, unconditional sacrificial sort of um idol worshiping type kind of love right Mm -hmm. that kind of love of money is definitely evil right Mm -hmm. because out of that uh you start worshiping mammon uh, which is a babylonian system babylonian culture right so in kingdom business we use these terminologies a lot right you know the you know the the world right now or the banking system right now or how the economy is run right now is still a babylonian system right where the, 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 the rich gets to the top and then the rest is just laboring to serve whoever's in the top, right? So one of the main mission uh, in kingdom business uh, in the collective, you know, uh, through my mentorship and the collective of kingdom entrepreneurs that I know is to really conquer the culture of Babylon of greed and self-centeredness and to build uh, what we call uh, the sheep nation, all right? So, um, I'm going on a tangent now, but you know, no, Alex, this is a perfect tangent to go down. I'm so fascinated. Please yeah. keep going. Yeah. So Matthew, Matthew tw- chapter 28, uh, Jesus talks about when he comes back, he would divide people into two people groups, uh, a sheep, what we call sheep nation or people group of sheep and a group and a, sh- a sheep nation and a goat nation, right? Uh, the sheep nation talks about, um, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. Uh, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was blah, blah, right? Um, and then the goat nation was, you know, when I was hungry, you, you ignore me. When I was in prison, you ignore me. So so this whole concept was, um, to my understanding, was really explaining how, um, how are people on earth managing the resources uh, in a way uh, that is sharing and caring, right? So I talked about... Uh, you know, managing the resources and the money in a way that is based on greed and self-centeredness, meaning that is, you know, I want a bigger house, I want a bigger car, I want whatever, me, 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 and I do it in the name of Christ. That's prosperity gospel, right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm making if I'm making money and I look after myself fairly, right, um, and then all that money goes to looking after the poor, which is, you know, one of one of Jesus's, you know. Uh, 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 commands for us to, you know, um, and, and I do not, not only I'm earning that money and distributing it to the poor or local advancing the kingdom or funding the church, but while I'm doing it, I'm doing it God's way and God's will, meaning when business ethics, where, where everybody wins or shall prosper, right. When in, in your deals, in your contracts, in your negotiations, how you deal with staff, how you deal with vendors, how you deal with clients, how you deal with your enemies, right? Um, if we do that God's way, God's will, uh, we, you know, the, the blessing that will come is, is almost a given. And then this next test is how are you going to steward that, that blessing uh, into the kingdom of God and to fund churches and to, and to advance the gospel and, and whatnot. Wow. That's really cool. Really interesting. <laughs> um, I think something that you've touched on that I think uh, that I'd love to know more about is, mm. so you talked about Babylonian systems and, and like we're still in Babylon. So, yeah. um, and one of those things is business. Like it, the way that secular businesses run is primarily on um, different ethics, a different code yeah. of ethics, a different yeah. standard of ethics and um, quite Babylonian in its structures. Right. You know, yeah. my mom came from corporate America and it's yeah. about chopping heads off and, yes. and all of that. And so, um, how does one go about kingdom ethics in the world of Babylon? So for you, what are your challenge markers that you face, that you encounter, um, uh, uh, moments of, you know, ethical compromise that you're asked to do, yeah. uh, and, and how do you navigate that as a, as a Christ-centered businessman? One of my mentors, his name is Wes Hone. He talks about, and, and one of my, uh, well, he talks about as kingdom entrepreneurs, you've got to have um, tough heart, sorry, so, soft heart and tough skin, 
Mm. Right. I think a lot of Christians have too much of a soft heart and they don't have tough, tough skin, um, especially operating in the marketplace. Right. Um, that's just my opinion. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and, and Jesus. Slow down for one second, because I want to know an example of what you mean by that or how, how that sits. When you say that statement, too many Christians, yeah. I think, yeah. what does that look like? What's an example of that? When you so say I that? think a, a lot of people would uh, go with turn the other cheek. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so whenever you, you come, you come up with a compromise or uh, some kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, arguments or uh, things that you can't come to ter- terms with, um, a lot of Christians would take the disadvantaged uh, position um, based on the thought process of I've got to turn the other cheek or I've got to, you know, keep, mm-hmm. be a peacemaker and all that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you've got to, you've got to, you've got to stand your ground um, depending on the situation, right? Like, you know, I like, to be honest, like this is unscripted, right? I'm in the middle of a lawsuit to a Christian charity, mm. right? Yeah. And in my opinion, obviously they would have their version of the story, right? Mm. I I'm totally in the right. Mm. Like, like in terms of the, the, the evidence, the business dealings, the, the value that we have given them, um, the fact that they have, um, uh, you know, violated uh, certain intellectual property mm. um, things like is is like on face value, we're totally in the right. Okay, um, and I'm I might be doing the wrong thing, right? Like you know, this is still unresolved at the moment, right? But I'm still standing on my, my ground and say I'm going to pursue this not because of the money that I want to get back. I don't care about the money, but I but I want to show I want to show. I, I want fairness and righteousness. Yeah, it's the principle of justice. It's the right? principle of justice, right? Yeah, yeah that's that's exactly it. Uh, and mm. and that you can come back to me and say, blah blah blah. We're all Christians. We're just trying to help people. Mm-hmm. But because knowing the backstories of what's going on and everything, like how they have dealt with their staff mm. and the things mm. internally, it's just mm. absolutely wicked. Mm. And I wanna I wanna stand my ground, call that stuff out, and just mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So what you said, so um, a softness of heart, but a a toughness of skin Mm. is what your mentor was. So now, you know, kind of maybe moving on and and past that story. Um, So that's one example of that. Um, Mm. How else does that play out? I suppose, Uh, you know, not in, not when it gets real, real bad, but how else does that play out in just daily dealings and and what else does that look like? Yeah. So um, I'm always looking for a win-win situation in any sort of dealings, right? So any negotiation, any dealing with staff. So all shall, the concept of all shall prosper, the concept of, you know, uh, sharing and caring, right? So in uh, whenever um, I, we, we, let's say we're trying to pick up a new client or we're, you know, someone is interested in doing business with us, um, my first instinct would always be, are we a good fit for this company and are they a good fit for us? right is is not about the amount of the contract or or whatever benefits that we're going to get whatever margins we're going to get whatever profit we're going to get my my first instinct is always is this a good fit right if i don't feel i can genuinely add value to your business and drive you results so that your business grows and and your business prosper so they can hire more people and you can look after more lives and or whatever then i'm i'm i'm, I'm unlikely to keep going with, with the relationship regardless of how big the contract is, right? Because at the end of the day, if it's not a good fit, three months later, we're just going to shoot ourselves in the foot, right? Yeah. Either they're not going to be happy or we're not going to be happy and then it's just going to blow up, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess that's practically like in just day-to-day without going into you know, you know stories and stuff like that. That would be on principle how I'm approaching my day-to-day. Mm. That's good. And where are you growing at, you know, say 12 years in, or how do you reflect on where you're at in your career mm. um, and what you've learned, maybe some of the, the, the wins, the losses along the way, yeah. what's something you're seeking to practice in this moment or, or what's something that someone's challenging you on in terms of growth mm. capacity? Um, I think that the past 12 years has been a massive character, um, character building exercise for me. Um, I, I sense that, um, one of my mentors also also tells me this, right? Um, God, <laughs> God loves you this much that He's not going to give you a million dollars if you don't have a million dollars worth of character to handle it. 
right? Yeah. So that's and I and 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 so the level of success that I have, mm. um, I I I I feel that is a pro a providence of God in sort of um, what's the word in in relation to where my character is at. Mm. That's that's how I'm feeling, right? Um, so, you know, so obviously along the way, you know, he's, he's dealt with so many like anger issues or, you know, um, you know, wisdom issues and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So I'm really looking forward to, I'm 33 now. So, um, I've, I've sort of told myself, um, um, I probably won't be ready to become a major, I'm talking, like I'm talking about multi-million or even, you know, touching the you know, tens of millions or billions or whatever. I don't think I'll be in that conversation until I'm 40 or 45, but I'm just really, really looking forward to and already enjoying this decade between my 30, between 30 and 40, just forgot to keep, put my head down, do the work, try not to position myself the hero Mm. um, and just let God, guide me through this character building process. So I don't really have a monetary goal before mm-hmm. I'm 40, mm-hmm. but my goal setting has always been around how am I going to work on my routines, my character, how I deal with people and how I, how I conduct myself. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Choose your own adventure. Do you want to go um, culture or do you want to go religion? Sorry. When I say culture, I mean ethnicity. So Chinese culture or, or religion. Um, Culture. Okay. Culture, what's on my mind is... What's your, what's your culture background, by the way? Uh, sure. Well, it's pretty far back. So I'm half Japanese, half Italian. Um, so I do, uh, yeah, totally fire and ice, man. <laughs> my, my dad is, um, yeah, over-the-top Sicilian, uh, comes from mobster background, um, you know, organized crime, all that kind of stuff. And then, my, <laughs> and then my mom is, like I mentioned, from corporate America, um, oh. just a little uh, fireball of a woman. Uh, incredibly intellectually smart, uh, yeah. intellectual, and um, and Japanese, and full full Japanese. So you know, right. we've got the Eastern stuff kind of oh, somewhere wow. somewhere colliding yeah. um, with an Italian heritage. Um, so so some do you of have any language? Does do you speak both or? No, I'm I'm fourth generation. So um, oh. my Japanese side, uh, they were in internment camps. So my okay. um, Japanese parents, uh, grandparents, and so they were very cognizant that they wanted to Westernize. This was in the um, right. Yeah, long time ago. And so part of that, they just, they, they stopped the language with uh, my yeah. mom uh, yeah. and her siblings. Okay. Um, yeah. And then father's side, uh, the Italian bit, um, yeah, he didn't grow up speaking it as well. So being fourth okay. generation, I'm, I'm pretty westernized, um, yeah. but it's just somewhere, you know, percolating in the background, sure. uh, those cultural okay. ties. Um, but one thing I always find fascinating, um, and I see it over here a little bit more. So I, I was born in Southern California, but I see it here. We're a bit more of a melting pot. Uh, with the East, I'd say. Um, And a lot of the things that I notice, um, uh, yeah, quintessential story, a buddy of mine plays piano at church. Um, He was playing piano at four years old. And Mm -hmm. so there is this aspect of being so incredibly driven in the Eastern culture. And would love to know, how do you see um, that? How do you assess the East-West culture in terms of like either growing up or now being an Australian living here and growing up with that heritage of six generations of Eastern business and practice and things like that? Mm. How do you reflect on that culturally? Um, not even place, you, you can place a value judgment on it, but I'd love to just know your general assessments and what you, what you think in that regard. That's a very interesting question. I'm just trying to find a way to answer that. Um, first of all, um, Let's put it this way, right? So my my parents they went through the Cultural Revolution back then. Uh, so obviously coming out of so they actually were placed on exile in a remote island uh, for about eight years. So they went mm-hmm. through trauma, right? They hate the Communist Party, right? To this very yeah. day, yeah. that's the political stand. And obviously, um, uh, you know, having migrated or escaped to Hong Kong back in the seventies and eighties. Um, from the Communist Party, they found freedom, they found liberty, they found prosperity. Um, so, um, so their upbringing is still very traditional. Traditional, like you know, put in a hard yard, you know, work with my hands, 
just go all in. So, um, so I grew up in that in, in traditional Asian Chinese environment where, you know, my my dad were you know were, was very distant, and my mum, you know, did what mum did. Um, um, so I sort of grew up in that culture, traditional Chinese culture, traditional mm-hmm. Asian culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but the advantage that they have given me and kudos to them, um, you know, they were born in the fifties, went through a cultural revolution, super traditional in their value systems, but they had the guts to give me all the liberty and freedom mm. that, um, that I, I wanted, or, or they, they gave me that gift, right? Because mm-hmm. in, the, in the traditional sense, I would be one of one of the tradition, one of the classic Asian boys who are really good at maths and mm-hmm. all that stuff. I was none of that, right? And, and they, they gave me the freedom to go explore and, and 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 performing arts and all that. So, and then they placed me at an international school, one of the first in Hong Kong, right? Where they, uh, you know, uh, you know, pay the high fees and all that sort of stuff. So my upbringing was slightly different, even though I was I grew up in traditional Chinese Hong Kong, mm-hmm. mac in the macro sense. But my upbringing in in my childhood was actually shaped in a Westernized way. Mm-hmm. So I, I my thought process has always been Westernized, and mm-hmm. and and do you know what I mean? So yes, so it's, it's quite a yeah, it's quite a it's quite an interesting sort of um, uh, yeah situation. Um, so when I finished primary school, so I had the best years in my primary school in the international school, westernized freedom, liberty, you know, um, the freedom to think for yourself and create for yourself and things like that. And then I didn't get the grace to get into, um, better schools, uh, in high school in, in Hong Kong. So I went mm-hmm. to one of the local schools in, in Hong Kong and that was a huge cultural shock, right? Even though I, I was born, born and breathed in Hong Kong, but like going to a local school, dealing with, like you know, just making friends with people who are local, yeah. local, right? Yeah, Huge yeah. cultural shock, right? Um, and that that was one of the main um, catalysts, of, well, or one one of the main reasons that I, I asked. I actually asked the question: Can I come to Australia? <laughs> um, so, sorry, do you mean to yourself personally? Like, do no, I have what them. it takes? Or no, I asked them. So, so, so. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So in between primary school and high school, um, you know, uh, my, my parents would organize uh, study trips for me to come to Australia. So I went to Brisbane for a month and then the Perth for a month, just absolutely loved it, right? Because like, you know, I just felt like I finally were able to find myself and be in a culture that I, you know, that belongs to me, right? Mm-hmm. So when I went to the, when I, when I ended up in the local school, cultural shock, you know, wasn't, wasn't able to, you know, thrive or whatever. I, I just asked the question, can we, can I, become an international student or can I come to Australia and study and live and all that sort of stuff. Right. So, um, what was your question again? Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I just yeah. wanted to, to, to see how you reflect on the nature of, um, business work ethic, um, from an East and West, um, yeah. kind of divergence because you've got a, a bit of both going on. You've got the yeah. six generations of, of Eastern business practice and now you're growing up and you're raising, uh, mm. like, you know, you're, you're growing up in a Western system. So mm. there's no, um, like I'm looking for a pointed answer. It's more a reflection on, yeah. um, how do you see yourself now? I guess, do you, do you, yeah. do you, do you sit more on the Eastern side philosophy? Do you sit more on the Western side? Uh, I'm definitely, somewhere? Yep. I'm definitely on the Western side. Um, in a practical terms, I, I rarely do business with Chinese, Chinese people. Mm-hmm. because the, the thinking is just so different, right? They want it now. They want, you know, they want it now. They would text you at 2 a.m. in the morning and there's no sense of rest. There's no sense of days off and there's no sense of space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the marketplace, in terms, of, in terms of the work culture itself between West and East, um, uh, as you would know, like East is all about putting in the hours regardless mm-hmm. of the quality of the work, right? Yes. Yeah. As long as there's bums on seats, it means that you are a valuable investment. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care, blah, blah. But if you put in 12 hours a day, you're a hard worker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I totally go against that, right? I'd rather be working two hours a day and outputting, you know, six times the work than slaving myself. And the human brain just doesn't work like that, right? <laughs> um, you know, it's, 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 it's almost physically impossible, 
for someone yeah. to to put in this many hours for this many years yeah. and still be able to be a functional human being so you know as you as you would know like as glamorous as it is um you see chinese companies with a lot of people big offices or japanese companies you know you would know with an entire suburb built for the company like toyota mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. But the productivity level is actually very low. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, uh, if uh, I think the Western way of doing things is, you know, ten people can produce this amount of work, and in Asia, you need fifty people to produce produce the same amount of work, hmm. right? Because over there, um, labor the value is yeah, the, the value. labor is cheap. Yeah, right. Whereas here, labor is expensive, so you can't hire this many people. So it forces you to work smart. Mm. right so that's my thinking and 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 if you were to ask me i'm definitely on the east uh, western side mm-hmm. um and i and i find it really really difficult uh, most of the time working yes. with chinese companies well so uh, that um calls to mind you, you said working smart or i think of you know the four-hour work week or any of the yeah. tim Ferriss of any of that though but like so what are your what are your current work-life hacks? Like, what are you doing to work smarter? What are some of the rhythms or things that you're building into your um, yeah. life to work smarter? Or, or what are you cutting out of your life? There's all kinds of things that we're learning yeah, yeah, yeah. to work smarter. So what does that yeah. look like for you? Absolutely. Oh, man, I can I can totally kick out on this stuff. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so uh, a, a winning day will, will look... Um, if, if, I'm, if I get up early in the morning... I'm winning half the battle already. And by early, I'm talking about 5 a.m. or before, right? Um, whenever I find myself getting up at 5 a.m. or 5.30, any time before 6, I feel like I'm winning half the battle already, right? Because of, you know, having young kids. So, you know, by 7.30 or 8, you know, you're, out, you know, you're doing school runs and stuff like that, right? And then you get home or you get to the office. By 9.30, 10, you start work, right? So by getting up early, spending that two hours, by myself you know sometimes reading scripture praying or journaling or reading or just exercising go to the gym you know just having that space mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i'm already winning and then and then my life is really built on routine and rituals um so i've got morning rituals um i've got a workday startup ritual right so before i turn on my emails and blah 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 i would um do certain things to get me get my mind prepared for that um, then Do you I mind don't, sharing I don't, about that a little bit, or is that something secretive? Or well, no, no, I mean, no, I, I'd love to just know what does the ritual look like? What is what is preparing for the workday look like for you? Okay, so um, so it, it sort of varies. So I don't I, I uh, once one before I go there, one thing I've noticed about rituals and routines and stuff: if you make it religious, mm-hmm. um, it's not going to work. Right. So, so if, if you've got an item, uh, a list of 10 items to do in a certain ritual and you miss one, you feel miserable for the day. <laughs> right. So Michael Hyatt, if you, I don't know if you know, I use uh, his system a lot. You know, he talks about uh, creating a game that you can win. Right. I think a lot of people setting goals and, and setting up rituals and routines and stuff. Um, and they, they, they're overachieving it. They're overdoing it. Right. Um, so in a sense that they're creating a game that they, lose constantly and then you lose motivation and whatnot right mm. um so my work day startup ritual uh, my morning ritual will be a combination of break um you know i always would have a warm breakfast or a hot breakfast um i would do some stretching um i would do something spiritual sometimes it means praying sometimes it means scripture sometimes it means journaling mm-hmm. um i do communion every day mm-hmm. right um and that's sort of you know, helps me to focus on Jesus and, and sort of symbolizes like this, just me, right? Um, symbolizes that his blood and flesh is cleansing me for the next 24 hours. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, um, and then I would do the morning stuff, school runs and, and make mm-hmm. breakfast with the kids and stuff like that. So when I get to the office or when I sit down in my home office, um, the startup ritual will be um, uh, breathing. So just sit down, just close my eyes and breathe for 10 seconds. Um, my PT actually teaches me how to you know, breathe properly and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would um, clear out any junk drawer items that I've got. So like, you know, answer this email or mm-hmm. reply to this message or whatever. Any, any sort of 
unimportant tasks that that I don't have to think about anymore during the course of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I'll probably do that for 15, 20 minutes, then I start my day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't allow myself to do more than three main tasks a day, right? Um, what do you consider main? What does that look like? Or what do you mean when you say that? Yeah, um, so anything, uh, anything that burns my brain's calorie. Right. So any create. So I, in my line of work, I do have creative writing. So creative copywriting. Right. So that would be considered. So if I'm writing a wireframe uh, for a particular client, that's my that's my one main task. Right. Uh, or if I'm doing a big sales meeting uh, with a client, or a presentation, or reporting mm-hmm. uh, with a client, that's one main task. Right. And I sort of structure it. I know I'm geeking out now. I'm sort of stretched. Um, I'm sort of structuring it in a way that I'm doing one creative task for the day, mm-hmm. right? And then one sort of meeting, relational people task. It can be team. It can be clients. It can be whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then the third task is usually something like a brainless type kind of work. Just the, because you know, by that time it will be you know in the late afternoon. I wouldn't have the creative juice anymore. Yeah. Um, so I would sort of schedule my task and plan out my task accordingly. Yeah. Then I would have a workday shutdown routine, <laughs> yeah. um, which is basically a, a routine that tells my brain that your workday has finished. Right. Um, that uh, includes um, putting my email on pause. Right, so just, so there's no way in hell that I'll be able to check email <laughs> uh, at night. Mm-hmm. Um, some stretching or planks. Um, I'll leave my phone down. So I've got a two-story house. I'll leave my phone downstairs and go upstairs uh, to spend time with family. Um, yeah, and um, it's good, man. Yeah, and then I, well, I tried. Yeah, sorry. Go no, ahead. no, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish off. Yeah, and um, yeah, just finally, and, and I try my best. And obviously, I don't do this to perfection, and sometimes I still find myself checking emails at weird mm-hmm. hours. But um, I try not to read or listen to anything business-related after I've finished for the day. So, you know, I wouldn't be listening to any business audio books or business podcasts or anything like that. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's great, man. Thank you for doing that. I mean, it might feel... Um like you're meandering, but that is interesting and important. You know, like people that are successful, um, we glean and we learn from each other. And that's part of the show. I want people to learn from you and your rhythms. Obviously, um, you found these things in terms of working smarter and compartmentalizing parts of your life and and workflow and routine and rhythm and and all of that. uh, you've, you've learned that over a period of time, but at what cost, like when, when did you learn these things and, and why did you start to put some of them into place? Uh, what yeah. were some of the things that you experienced, whether it was burnout or stress or yeah. family work-life balance? Yeah. What, yeah. What, what, what preempted this process for you? Um, so I'm fortunate. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really fortunate that I, I had the realization really, really early in my career that I don't want to sacrifice. I had kids. I had my first kid when I was 24, right? Mm-hmm. And by that time, I, I sort of knew or sort of realized that I, I will never, ever allow um, my success as, uh, well, my, I would never, ever allow sacrificing my family and my, and, 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 and my kids and my wife and the lifestyle mm-hmm. um, to work and money. So I, if you're looking for like a burnout story and anything like that, I don't, I don't have one, <laughs> which is, yeah, which is, which, which I, I'm really thankful for. I, I think a lot of what I'm doing is more for prevention of burnout. Um, I'm really big on emotional health and staying in balance and, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, so I, 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 and, you know, in personal development world, when you read books and stuff, you will always, you know, people always tell, tell you about burnout stories and how, how dreadful it is and all that i just don't want to live that life right so um i'm just trying to do everything i can to not let that happen yeah yeah but i think the biggest lesson for me is if you're trying to make 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 your habits and your rituals a religious exercise then you're definitely gonna fail you're definitely gonna fail Mm. yeah yeah because subconsciously you're trusting in that religion you're trusting in a you know yeah the ritual aspect of, of whatever it is you're doing yeah that's right yeah um, 
I guess we're, we're winding up. This has been an exceptional interview. I've loved um, chatting with you, but would love to know, I guess, um, in closing, mm. what's something you're hopeful for eternity and for eternity future? What's your current thinking on eternity? And, and what's something that you're hopeful of? Because I always want, you know, people on the back end to be uh, in love with the end game. And, yeah. and that's not, you know, that's, that's me. That's a lot of other people are, um, can be very much in the moment and, and mm. cannot uh, be uh, place faith and optimism in that. But I'm always kind of trying to uncover yeah. what people see and, and are expecting of. Well, first of all, I, I really hope that um, snowboarding is available in eternity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a hobby of yours. Yeah, I'm a snowboard geek. Um, yeah, it's good, man. And uh, I'm, I'm, I tell this joke all the time, like, you know, you, you guys go and spend time with Jesus and Paul and all these heroes. I'm going snowboarding, man. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, not um, a lot of those Bible folks on, on the mountains are in the snow, I guess, too much. Eh? That climate yeah. didn't really afford for it. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but I'm just really looking forward to seeing physically um, what the kingdom of God looks like, mm. the new Jerusalem, mm. this, 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 this kingdom that we get to live a little bit in on earth. What does that really look like um, in eternity? And we get this to obviously spend forever in that space. Um, but I just can't wait to see it. Is is um, that that's what fascinates me? Hi, this is Elizabeth. I'm on a call at the moment. Wonderful. Hi, Elizabeth. That's all right, man. Yeah. CNN broke these barriers down uh, months <laughs> ago, so it's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm really looking forward. I really look forward to ask God or ask Jesus or ask Moses the the, the hard questions. Yeah. Okay. What's just just one? Just what's a hard question that you, you'd want to? ask any of them in the moment um, or what's something that's left unresolved i suppose um i don't have one really dom um mm. if i think of one I'll, I'll come back to it but i don't I, no, right. but yeah just all the all the things that you've got in your like how about dinosaurs yeah right? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah all the yeah. stuff that's left out come on god give it to me yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. was that really seven days or you know like all that yeah 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 and, and and one of mine that i'm always i'm just like man i want to know the truth the truth about the truth about the like what happened <laughs> with jfk and what you know like i just <laughs> god throw me on the dvr and we're just gonna you know plug yeah. in history and yeah 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 that'd be good man yeah. well hey if you don't mind we could do a little bit of small talk just for a minute but yeah, um, i'm so man. blessed by this time today thank you again alex for taking your Thank time you. to chat with me bud yeah thanks thanks for putting up with my weird ideas oh it's wonderful all right yeah okay and nail this. Well, hey, that's it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Uh, if you did, please help me promote. I know you know how to do that. Like or share or subscribe or all those kind of clever things that people are talking about. Um, but also, if you have anyone that you think would be a good interview for this uh, podcast, please do leave that in the comments down below. Let's close today with these words in Hebrews chapter 10. Paul reminds us, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Until that day, guys, keep doing life together. Love you, share this around, bless you, peace. Mm, it's pretty good, pretty good.